Here we are again, part six of our Transformation of the Soul series. It's been six whole weeks that we've been on this journey. That which constitutes man's personality are the three main faculties of volition, mind, and emotion. Volition, by definition, is the instrument for our decision, uh, our decisions, revealing our power to choose. It expresses our willingness or our unwillingness. We will or we won't. Our mind is the instrument for our thoughts. It manifests all of our intellectual power. Out of this arises wisdom, knowledge, and reasoning. And then the instrument for our likes and dislikes is the faculty of our emotions. Through it, we are able to express love or hate and to feel joyful, angry, sad, or happy. Let's look at this scripturally just to build the case a bit. When we look at the soul faculty of volition, scripture says in Psalms 27 and 12, give me not up to the will of my adversaries. The original word there is actually soul. So it says, give me not up to the soul of my adversaries. First Chronicles 22 and 18 says, now set your mind and heart, the original word for heart there was soul, to seek the Lord your God. So in both of those scriptures, it is showing us how the soul has the faculty of will or volition. Let's look at the faculty for the intellect or the mind. Psalms 139 and 14 says, marvelous are thy works and that my soul knows right well, all right? So we're equating knowledge, not just to the mind um, by itself, but also including it with the entire operation of the soul. Proverbs 2 and 10 says that knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Knowledge pleasant to your soul. Proverbs 3, 21 and 22 says, keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul. All right, let's look at the soul's faculty for emotion. Uh, and here we have the emotions of affection. First uh, Samuel 18 and one says, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So we see the soul expressing the emotion of love. Song of Songs one and seven says, you whom my soul loves. Luke one, <clears throat> excuse me, Luke one, and 46 says, my soul magnifies the Lord. All right, let's look at the emotions of desire. Deuteronomy 14 and 26 says, for whatever thy soul desireth or for whatever thy soul asketh of thee. So we're showing the soul showing desire. We're revealing the soul showing the element of desire. Emotions of feeling and sensing. Second Kings 4 and 27 says, her soul is bitter and vexed within her. And then Psalms 42 and 5 says, why are you cast down, O my soul? So we can discover in the above observation scripturally that touched upon man's various emotions that our soul is capable of loving and hating, of desiring and aspiring, of feeling and sensing. From this brief biblical study, it becomes quite obvious that the soul of man contains in it the part known as the will the part known as the mind or the intellect, and the part known as the emotion. So the soul, in essence, contains the immaterial features that make us who we really are. So we're going to delve into this week's teaching with the understanding that the soul is who we are. Somebody say, my soul is who I am. Your life is your soul. The quality and the caliber of life that we as believers live is really contingent upon the quality and the caliber of our soul. Your soul as a believer can be healthy and flourishing, or it can be toxic and destructive. And every single thing that shows up in your life is going to mirror and reflect that present condition 
of the soul. Psalms 23 uh, shows us the power and the strength of a soul that is yielded to God and under his complete control. Uh, it says in verse three, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It says, thou preparest a table for me or before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of Jehovah for the length of my days. So let's consider this, that we are born in sin. We are shaped in iniquity, and that is all because of the fall and the transgression of Adam, all right? Uh, Psalms 51 and 5 lets us know this, uh, which means that when we start our lives, when we're born into the world, we are born with a solical or soulish predisposition for death and an inclination towards the things that are wrong. We were born in sin. That means the sin principle, the sin nature uh, is at work in us and upon us and even through us. It's an inherent principle that is there because of the transgression of Adam. After salvation, the work of the Lord thoroughly deals a death blow to that fallen nature and frees us to be able to accept and manifest the life of Christ. Let's look at Romans 6, verse 5. It says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, that's the inherent sin nature, was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Jesus Christ took us in him and with him on the cross. The cross is a fact. His crucifixion is a fact, which then means that our crucifixion is a fact. The death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, all right? The body of sin was completely annulled and done away with. That means the inherent nature, what we were born with, the born into sin, shaped into iniquity, what we were fashioned in and what we immediately became partakers of upon our entrance into the planet, he completely destroyed it, completely annulled it, completely got rid of it. The dominion of sin then through the work of the cross was utterly destroyed. So now, because we were in Christ, when he died, when he crucified, we can reckon ourselves, of course, just like him, dead indeed to sin, dead indeed to the sin nature, dead indeed to the body of sin that he completely got rid of, all right? And in the same way that we liken ourselves dead or crucified with Christ, we also, in the likeness of the power and the strength of his resurrection, can also consider or reckon ourselves to be alive in Christ unto God for good works and for righteousness. Somebody shout hallelujah, all right? So just like we died, we literally resurrected and we resurrected from death and we were raised in Christ Jesus to a brand new life. That brand new life 
recreated, reshaped, reformed after his likeness is lived out and manifested through our soul. The restoration of the soul, as we were looking at in Psalms 23, brings us back to God's original blueprint for the soul before Adam fell and mankind lost the creator's intention. All right. So if we look at Psalm 23 and let's look at that once again, we're going to understand what happens through the power of a restored soul. Psalms 23, beginning at verse three, again, it says, and he restoreth my soul. That means he brings it back to its original state. He brings it back to the original intention. He brings it back to the original template and design, all right? He restores my soul. And then it says, he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake, all right? So the restored soul can be implicitly led by God himself into the full realization of his righteousness, literally walking in paths of right dealings and justice in all things from God's world and God's perspective all the way into ours, understanding the greatness and the power of his being. That's what it means when the scripture says for his name's sake. The Bible says because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by his own name. His name is the totality of his character, his persona, and his literal self, all right? So the restored soul can be led by God into the full realization of righteousness. Can you imagine what it means to have right dealings in everything that you do, to have right dealings, right perspectives, right understanding, and to deal justly in every single thing, and then for the name of the sovereign God to be the backdrop and the premise upon which you are able to manifest and live that life? That's what happens to the restored soul. The restored soul also, according to Psalms 23, it says in verse four, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The restored soul can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear, fear no fear and feel no fear because the wholesome reality of God's abiding presence is so pervasive experientially that even a confrontation with death itself cannot move it. How much more everything else in life? So can you imagine that your soul being in such a place that even dealing and walking through the valley of the shadow of death itself, dealing with the confrontation of death, the arch enemy of life itself, that you could confront it, look at it head on and nothing inside of your soul even move because of the pervasiveness of the presence of God that is living and manifesting and showing up in a restored soul. Imagine everything else. Your bills won't be able to take you out. Death can't make you even move and have fear. Your, your bills can't do it. The trouble on your job can't do it. The trouble in your family with your children, with your relationships can't do it. Being stressed and overwhelmed in the kingdom, somebody shout hallelujah, can't do it. Why? Because the restored soul is kept by the very nature of God himself. Watch this. And then it says that your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? So the restored soul then can accept the Lord's dealings on all levels uh, because of their security and their trust in him, right? The rod of correction and the staff of his direction and guidance are both one in the same. So whether God is showing you an area in your life that needs to be fixed or corrected, or whether he's simply whispering through the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, a direction, nothing in your soul is moving. You're not going on a crazy emotional frenzy because God had to fix you or he had to rebuke you. You're not in some place of, of fear of the unknown because you're waiting for the direction. No, the rod of God's correction and the staff of his guidance and leadership both 
comfort your soul. Why? Because your soul is restored, because your soul is resting powerfully in him, right? Watch this. It says that thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. The restored soul doesn't fret because of enemies. Imagine that. You're not upset. You're not running. You're not hiding. You're not dodging anybody. Uh, why? Because the Bible says that he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The restored soul can sit down and look the enemies head on face to face. Why can they do that? Because they recognize that if they are enemies, that God himself has created the space for those enemies to exist. And if he allowed them to exist, and if he's preparing a table, a setting for me in the face of those enemies, it must mean that those enemies are somehow a part of the facilitation of his purpose. And if he's allowing it as the sovereign, the one in whom my soul trusts, then I trust his intention concerning me. I trust the finished work concerning me. I trust what's already established and foreordained on the other side of whatever this enemy is presenting. Somebody shout amen and amen. It says that you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. The restored soul can accept the anointing of the Lord's oil, which brings forth the abundance of supply in all things so that your cup, your cup of salvation runs over. That means that everything that has been afforded to you by the salvation covenant is excessively and exponentially and abundantly increased and expanded in all ways, all of the time, in every aspect of your life. Can you imagine having the kind of soul, being in the soul space where the anointing of God is poured over you and causes your reservoir of receptivity in all things to abundantly overflow? to overflow, to increase, to expand, to exponentially be abundant. That is some good news. How do you get there? It's the restored soul. Somebody shout hallelujah, hallelujah, right? You get to experience fullness because the restored soul has the capacity to handle everything that God is dispensing. The broken soul, the fragmented soul, the destructive soul, the toxic soul doesn't have the capacity. Somebody say, restore my soul. Okay, and then it says this, surely goodness and mercy or goodness and loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord or the house of Jehovah for the length of the days or forever. The restored soul is a conduit for everything the Lord desires. He surrounds you with goodness and mercy. He plants you as a pillar in the house of the Lord forevermore. You are completely unmoved. You can't be moved. You are sustainable. You are secure. You are mature, you are seasoned, you are full, and you are complete. I want to admonish you this week for part six of our journey in the transformation of the soul to rely on the power of God to restore your soul. We need self-help. We need to read books. We need to get information. We need to go through processes and experiences. We need to look at what makes us tick and why we are the way that we are. But at the end of the day, according to Psalm 23, it is the Lord who restores the soul. He authored you. He originated you. He created you. He's the only one that has the blueprint. He's the only one with the template. He's the only one who knows exactly how your design was shaped and fashioned. Let's trust the Lord to restore our souls. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in.